Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Y'all ready for church today? Happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for the gift. It's going to be a great day. That is not my motorcycle. I just wanted to make that very clear. My wife would never let me have a motorcycle. And men, we know really who's in charge, right? All right. Can't have a Father's Day without telling a couple dad jokes. These are some of my favorites. So get ready, guys. Write these down. Ladies, just bear with us. Today's our week. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. Today is our week. What do you call a zombie who cooks stir fry? Dead man walking. My wife, my wife told me the other day that I had no sense of direction, so I asked her, where did that come from? Come on, Aaron, you, got, you gave me that one. 
Why are peppers the best at archery? Because they habanero. <laughs> These are classic, man. These are great. These are my favorite. Why did the scarecrow get an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> Come on, that's good. Come on, Tim, that's good, man. <laughs> you know, the bad thing is, is I've told every single one of these to my family. What do you call a computer that sings? Adele. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's just, that's just easy, Matt. That's a good one. Here's the last one, all right. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. Hey, happy Father's Day. Um, I just wanted to tell a couple fathers joke, a couple dads joke, but let's be honest, being a father is not a joke. Sadly, our media has made dads, men, fathers, kind of a joke. Tele uh, television, different sitcoms, all of that stuff have made being a father a joke. Today, we want to talk about, I, I want to challenge the men. Now, I, I understand this is uh, going to be a message directed specifically at the men in the house, whether you're a dad or not. So what I don't want you to do, if you're a man here, I don't want you to check out. Because maybe your kids are grown, maybe you haven't had kids yet, but I want to talk about masculinity. I think it's been removed from our, really there's just a whole demasculinate, demasculinization, is that right? Of our society. Men are trying to be women, women are trying to be men, and we need to bring masculinity back into what it means to be a man. So I looked up the definition, and this isn't Wikipedia, this isn't a 21st definition. Uh, century definition. This is Webster's 1828 definition of masculine. It means to be strong. It means to be robust. It means to be bold. It means to be brave, resembling a man, having courage. I want to add to that, born to be wild. So listen, listen, a man, a father, a leader in our community, he's a leader. He's the head of our household. He loves authority, but he's not an authoritarian. He is, he's accountable to God and his family. He is, he's a protector. He stands guard. He stands watch. I always like to say that, that men, uh, the heads of the household, fathers are to guide, to guard, and to govern. That's our role. If you ever want to know what to fall back on, those are the three things that you, you are, you are called to protect your house. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. He, you, you aggressively stand in opposition not just to your family, but to, to the village that God has called you to, to the church that God has called you to. He's confident in, his, in God's ability to use him. He's brave, full of courage in the face of fear. One of the best books any man can read is Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And here's what he says in the book. I love this quote. He says, deep in his heart, talking about the masculine man, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. He needs a place for the warrior in him to come alive and be honored, trained and seasoned. If we can reawaken the fierce quality in a man, hook it up to a higher purpose, then the boy can grow up and become truly masculine. Now, here's what I believe. I believe right now 
that being a man is tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. But, but tough times make strong men, don't they? They make strong men. So what you're dealing with right now in your family, what you're dealing with in our culture, what we're seeing all around us is really toughing us up. It's making us who we are so we can have the strength. I think that's a good name for a men's ministry, strong men. What do you think about that, Aaron? So today I want to awaken the, the fierce quality that exists in every one of you. I want, men, I want you to sit up straight. I, I really, I want to call you to a purpose today. I want to call you to the fight that we've been called into so we can lead this generation. And we're going to talk about through the eyes of David. David was one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he wasn't perfect. I love reading about David because he, he messed up a lot. He was flawed, but he was favored. I mean, think about it. God called him a man after his own, his own heart. And, and he, made, he made a lot of mistakes. He was not perfect in any way. And I, I think if we're honest, we're not perfect. We, we can't attain to that perfection. There's only one that's perfect. His name is Jesus. And he's a great example of a man. By the way, all the kind of sissified pictures you see of him, I don't think that's true. Okay. Uh, now, I don't, I don't think Jesus did CrossFit, but I don't think anybody would have messed with Jesus. Not because of his outward appearance, but because of his inward confidence in who he was. And so it's not about what you look like, it's about who you follow. And that's what we want to do. So David was flawed. Now, here's what I know about all of us. All of us in this room, man, woman, child, everybody, okay? We all go through three stages in our life. You may want to write these down because these are important, especially if you're a parent, because you can watch these walk out in your kids. But all of us are going through or are in one of these stages, okay? The first stage is what we call dependence. We're born dependent, you're born a kid, you're born a baby. Maybe you don't like kids, but you were one, okay? And let's be honest, babies are selfish. Hello. They want, they, they want all the attention. They always want to eat. They wake you up in the middle of the night. Come on. I mean, it'd be great if they just came out of the womb and they were just perfectly adapted to the world around them. However, they are completely dependent upon their parents, they can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't pick themselves up. They can't walk. They can't crawl. Take some time to learn. So we're all born dependent. Second phase that we all go through is what I call the independent stage. Now, this happens when they get to be about 13. They think they know everything. Okay, I don't know how long it lasts because I got a few that are still in that phase. You know, they're still moving on. Some of, some of you in this room are 40 and still think you can do it all by yourself. You're independent. You, you think, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. The last time I relied on somebody, they hurt me. The last time I put my trust in God, it seems like he, left, he let me down. Happens to all of us. We all go through that. I went through this independent stage. We all go through, but... The goal is to get to the third stage. The third stage of life is the interdependent part of our life, where not only are we dependent upon God, but we're also dependent upon people. We are interdependent in a community, community that's led by God, God and people. That's why Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and Love your neighbor as yourself. So it involves both groups of people. Now, here's what happens, though. 
if we remove people out of the equation and just say, well, I'm just dependent upon God, then what happens is we become ineffective. Okay, that, that's called a monk. They go off to the mountains, they're all by themselves, but they have no influence over people. Sometimes we get hurt by people. And so they, they put people in an area, they, they, they say, I love God, but I don't really trust people. We have a mindset on God, but we don't live in the mindset of God because we have to have people. If we just put people and know God, it puts us easily in a position where we fall back into independence. If we have no God in our life, listen to me, men. If you have no God in your life, no relationship with God, you will fall back into a independent life because when people hurt you, you will say, I don't want any part of it. It happens all the time. The reason why God is so important is because he's the one who can heal the hurts that people make in your life. And here's the deal. They will hurt you. God's a father who loves us. He'll never hurt us. No matter if you think he has or not, he will never hurt you. He will never do anything to destroy you, hurt you. Most of the problems we deal with are our own responsibility. But let's be honest, some people hurt us. Some people do things. Some people are out to get us. Some people don't want us to succeed. They don't want us to be blessed. They, 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 they betray you. That happens. But we, also, we all need those people. David was great. See, in your relationships, this is what Philippians 2.5 says. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the, sign, the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So David was really good at living interdependent. He, he understood the relationship needs with God and with people. So I want to give you four things, four mindsets that David mastered in his life in order to constantly become interdependent, to, to learn how to be the man that God called him to be. And most of these are out of mistakes that he made. So write this down. Number one, real quick, number one is be self-aware. Be self-aware. Now, before I read this scripture, I want to give you just a quick, you know, kind of set up history of what's happening before I read this verse. David has been king for a while. And he's had a bunch of children. And his third son is a guy by the name of Absalom. And Absalom got really mad because Amnon, who was his kind of two sons ahead, who was the firstborn, slept with Absalom's sister, Tamar. And so Absalom killed Amnon. Now David, this is where he was flawed as a parent, never did anything about any of this stuff. He just kind of abdicated his role. He stepped back. In other words, he did not take his position as the man that he was called to be. Okay? And so, so he kind of stepped back. He didn't deal with Amnon. He didn't deal with Absalom. And when Absalom was about 25 years old, he said, you know what? I think I can run this show better than my dad. And so he basically raised this coup and said, I'm going to take over. And everybody around David was like, what are you doing? Why are you letting your son do this? Because Absalom would sit in the gate. He would judge people and say, you know, if I did it, you know, here's what I would say. And, and he basically drew people to himself. It was a wrong motive, wrong thing to do. And David should have dealt with it right in that moment. And so Joab, 
who was David's best friend and also his greatest warrior, said, I'll take care of it, and he kills Absalom. Now, you might think, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he killed his son. But see, what Joab saw was he saw the bigger picture. And he, understand, he understood that David wasn't going to deal with it. And he needed to deal with it. And then, here's, here's the verse. Listen to 2 Samuel 19. Then Joab went to the king's room. And I love this because this is what real friends do. This is what people who really love you do. He said, then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, we saved your life today. And yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been pleased. Now go out there. He's like, come on, David, wake up, man. Now go out there and congratulate your troops. Verse eight, so the king went out and he took his seat at the town's gate. And as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. Listen to me, guys. There's always gonna be a tension for you to live out as, as you continue to lead as a father, as you continue to lead as a business owner, to continue to lead as a man. There's always gonna be tension. I know this as a dad. Because my kids make stupid decisions. Right? And sometimes you can't do anything about it. You just sit there and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't raise them like that. I didn't teach them that. You think David taught Absalom to raise up a coup? The exact opposite. David had opportunities to kill his enemy Saul and he said no. But see, real men understand the spiritual warfare that's necessary in order to lead their family. And listen, men, everybody look at me. It's your job. It's not your wife's job. It's not your wife's job to lead the family spiritually. Yeah, but she prays better than me. Well, that's because maybe you're not praying enough. Well, you know, she's just more spiritual. No, she might be more discerning, but there's a warrior in you. There's a fighter in you. Now, don't get mad at me, okay? Don't get mad and go, I can't believe he said that to me. Maybe I need to be your Joab today. Maybe I need to be your Joab. Because I believe God's raising up a generation of men that are gonna stand up, of fathers, not just biological. That's easy. That's easy. That requires little effort. Hello. You said, is he going there? Absolutely. But it takes a real man to stand up and be a dad, to be a father. There's tension. David was having difficulty between his life as a leader and his life as a father. It's never easy making those tough decisions. Listen to me. Don't lose focus on those who love you by trying to gain those who don't. Let me say that one more time. Don't lose focus on those who love you by trying to gain those who don't. Be self-aware. What was David's response? David's response was, 
Let me go to the gate. Let me take my position. Let me take my seat in order to judge and lead. I'm going to fall back into what God called me to do in the first place. When I was alone, taking care of the sheep, all by myself, my dad didn't recognize me, my brothers didn't like me, and God, you called me. And so I'm going to sit in that position and do what you called me to do. I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit, David said, in order for him to lead me. Because, listen, sometimes people won't tell you things that are going wrong in your life. Sometimes God needs to tell you, and sometimes life shouts at you. And then we have to be self-aware. How do we become self-aware? That's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. David said this in Psalms 51, verse 11. He said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He understood the value of a relationship with God, a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we're open, honest, and available for God to speak through people, to speak to us directly, or maybe to life, shout at us and go, hey, listen, you need to change. And then man up and go, okay, yes, I will. I'll listen to you, Joab, and I'll go sit in the seat that God's called me to. See, women want to be with a man. They want to be with the man. They really do. If you behave like a child or expect her to mother you, she'll eventually resent you. My wife's a strong woman, but I'm a strong man. And that's what God's called you to be. Look at your neighbor and say, man, he's preaching good today so far. Look at your neighbor and say, be self-aware. Be self-aware. Number two, write this down, be self-correcting. Be self-correcting. Awareness means nothing without action. Awareness means nothing without action, correction, conviction. Is if it's not sparked, you got to do something about it. You got to move. So David, again, he makes a mistake. The devil convinces him to number his army. It's basically like, you know, how big is your church? How big is your business? What's your revenue? You know, he basically, that's what the devil's trying to get him to put trust in the wrong thing. So he sends Joab to go out and number his army. And then he realizes, man, I messed up again. Dang it. Then David lifted his eyes, verse 16, 1 Chronicles 21. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven and having his hand, uh, have, has in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces and David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who sinned and have done this evil indeed. In other words, he took responsibility. Adam blamed Eve. Oh, it was that woman you gave me, God? Dang it, it was her fault. It wasn't my fault. No, read, read the Bible. It says that she took of the fruit and then passed it to her husband. He was standing right there, y'all, the whole time. Like, what you doing, girl? Just standing there, like in his head, I can see. What you doing? Why are you picking that fruit? I know God told me not to do it. Why didn't he say something? Hey, yo, stop. Stop. Aaron blamed it on the people. When, the cat, when they worship the golden calf. Read it, the Bible is hilarious. The story is Aaron gathered all of the, the wealth of, of the Israelites, took all the gold and all the silver and fashioned a calf until Moses came and go, what happened, Aaron? 
And he says, man, I don't know. You know, like it, I was just there wor- at the fire, and then all of a sudden this, ja- this calf jumped out, and then everybody started worshiping. I told him not to do it, but I don't know what happened. It's their fault. Saul blamed the people when he, when he sinned. It's easy to blame. It's easy to not take responsibility. It's much easier to be a victim than it is to stand up and go, it's my fault. I messed up. I screwed up. I blew it. Let me change. Let me self-correct. Admit fault. Listen, don't let compassion overrule conviction. Don't let obligation overrule obedience. Don't let culture overrule your values. So how, how do I stay self-correcting? Is this okay, guys? Is this all right? Okay, how do I stay self-correcting? Okay, two things. Just write these down. Two things. It's really easy to learn how to self-correct. Number one is be humble. Listen, humility is a skill. Because let's be honest. It's easy as a strong man to become a little arrogant. You got an ego. God gave it to you. But you have to, through humility, keep your ego in check. And it's a skill that you have to develop. How do you develop that skill? By watching what you say. By noticing others around you. Not putting all the focus on yourself. Why? Because God told us very, very clearly in James 4, verse 6, but he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us, for it says God resists you when you are proud. He resists. You know what that word resist means? It means to oppose. In the literal Greek, it means to set up an army against. Why? Why? Does God resist proud people? Because proud people leave a wake of destruction behind them. They hurt a lot of people. I've been prideful many times in my life. Many times where I've just, you know, man, I need to number my army. Look how big of a deal I am. Look at who I know. Look at this, look at that. And then God just sometimes just goes, uh, I'm sorry, just stay arm's length. Resist. I rely on my ego instead of the Holy Spirit. So you got to be humble. Second thing is you got to have self-discipline. You got to love discipline. Love correction. Correction is not easy at all. Man, it hurts when people tell you something that you've done for a long time that you did wrong and you don't want to own up to it. It hurts, man. Especially when your wife tells you And then somebody else goes, your wife was right. And you're like, no, I don't want her to be right. No, that's not right. You know, you're paying the counselor and you're hoping to go in there and for him to tell you that you're right and she's wrong. And then he says, you're wrong and she's right. And you're like, no, I thought I gave you an extra 20 out there to tell her. (laughs) You need discipline. That's why you put people in in a, a place of authority. That's why you lean on authority. That's why you allow authority to be in your life. No matter how big your britches are, no matter how big your company gets, no matter how big your ministry gets, no matter how big you are, how much money you have, how big your house is, how many, you know, Mercedes Benz you drive, no matter what, you always allow people to speak in your life. Humility first, discipline second. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 12, verse 1. It says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but this is the Bible. I didn't say this, but he who hates correction is stupid. I, I did not write that. God did. So we have to be ready to self-correct. Come on, everybody say, be, be self-aware, self-aware and self-correct. self-correct. Number three, number three, write this down. Be self-strengthening. Self-strengthening. 
1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 and 6, it says, Now it happened. Whenever you see it happened in the Bible, pay really close attention. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. Now David was greatly distressed for this people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. I love this. The Amalekites were the ISIS of the Old Testament. Okay, they were the terrorists of the Old Testament. Why? Because they always preyed on the weak. They always preyed on the uncovered. They always preyed on the unprotected. This is why, this is exactly what happened. David, his army left the city. So what did the Amalekites do? They went into the city and took all the women and kids. They looked for something that was unprotected. This is exactly what the enemy does to us. He waits for us to step back and leave our position, leave our place unprotected, and then he steps right in. That's what the Amalekites do. They're looking for weaknesses. And so, so it happens, and the da David's army comes back, and they're mad at him. And so like, what did you do, David? My wife is gone. My kids are gone. The Amalekites didn't kill him, but now they stole everything. Now David has a problem because they stole his stuff too. And now he has a problem. What do I do? Because all the people that have been following me for so long want to kill me. So what did he do? He went to God. He went directly to God. His response was he strengthened himself. In the original language, it means he found strength. Why did he find strength? Because he knew where to look. He knew exactly where to go. He knew if I can go to God, I, I can't go to Joab this time. I can't go to my leader because they all hate me right now. I don't have anywhere else to go. So I gotta go, I gotta go to the place that I've been all my life that I know I can get what I need from God. Now, why did he know that? Because he had a relationship with God in the good times and the bad times. So he knew where do, where do, how do I get the wisdom that's necessary to take the next step? How do I get the strength to, to, to deal with this situation? Because I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, should I attack the Amalekites? Should I sit here and have like a little kumbaya moment and get everybody rallied back around me? What do I do? How do I handle this? It's called faith. So we can't, as men, pass the buck to our wife or our kids or something, or a pastor or our church. We've got to learn Learn how to draw strength from God ourselves. When we're alone, when, when we need him the most, we, we have developed a relationship so good when things are going good that when things go bad, we know exactly where to go. And we drop, we go right to our knees. We go right to worship. Why? Because we practiced on our knees and we practiced worship. We've practiced the presence of God. We've been in that place where God shows up and we know what it feels like when he's there. And if, he, if, we, if we don't feel anything, we don't care because we know he's there. That's what it's like. You just know, but you know, but you know. You're confident. See, faith is enabled by God, but enacted by us. Faith is enabled by God, but enacted by us. God 
introduced himself to David, but it was up to David to chase after God. That's what faith is. Faith requires a human response. Because of David's relationship with God, he knew exactly where to go. He trusted God with everything. And so when everything was gone, he went back to the author, who the one who gave it to him in the first place. You can restore it. You can fix it. If your family's not going well, go to God. If your job's not going well, go to God. If things aren't going well in your marriage, go to God. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what will happen. You say, well, well, I need to go to this. I need to do that. Look, th- those are all great things. But when you go to God, she'll catch up. She will. I promise you. Because she'll see the strength of God in you. A relationship with God is super attractive. It's very attractive. And ladies, don't you dare find somebody who's not attracted to God first. He may love you, but make sure he loves God first. Okay, because you can't change him to love God. It was never designed to operate that way. It was never designed for you to love God and for him to chase after God because you love him. It was designed for him to love God and for you to chase after him because he loves him. That's the way it's supposed to go. Amen. Self-aware. Come on, say self-aware. Self-correcting. Self-strengthening. Last one, last one. Self-sacrificing. That's the last one. Be self-sacrificing. Never lead greater than we love. Never let your leadership supersede your love your love for the people you're leading. Leading comes naturally, but loving is tough. First Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 11, verse two, it says also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. So this is what, what was happening with David. And I think this is what even in his flawed, even in his imperfection, even in his mistakes that made him such a great leader and a great person is because of his love for God and his love for people. He valued people. He valued the relationships that were around him. He didn't value them because of what they could give to him. He valued them, period. And he wanted to add value to them all the time. This is one of the big lessons I learned from Uncle John Maxwell. He's not really my uncle, but I just call him that. He said, Troy, don't ever forget your most important goal is to add value to people. Don't ever look at them as a relationship so you can get something from them. Always leave something in them when you walk away. So that when when they leave you, that you've made a deposit in their life. Not that you, because typically in the world we live in, it's all about withdrawals. It's all about pulling out. It's all about, it's all about drawing from people and what can I get from you and, and what can I learn? And that's good, but even no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, always make deposits. Look to make deposits, add value. And so they saw David's leadership. They were inspired by, the, by his leadership, but they followed his love. I wanna be a, a man, a pastor, a father, a husband, a leader who inspires you, who leads you, but I want you to follow me because of my love for Christ. I mean, what a great thing for somebody to say when you're at your funeral. Man, that guy, the thing that I knew about him was that he loved God and he loved people. 
He cared about people. I think that'd be before, like, man, he built a great church. Look at all the campuses he had. Look at all the, look at all the people that came. Look at all the people that got saved. I think there's all great, important things. But wouldn't it be great for them to say, man, he loved people. I remember when he did this. I remember when he did that. I remember when he called me and nobody else did. I remember when he texted me and said, I care about you. I'm proud of you. I love you. That's a father. That's a man. That's masculine. That's the fierce quality that exists on the inside of you. Sit up tall, men, today. Sit up tall. There's a fight you need to fight. There's a battle, and it comes with sacrificing. This was the thing that made David so much like Jesus. He sacrificed. He sacrificed. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated in us. Here's what I believe today. I believe God's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. Maybe one thing today will cause you to take a little bit more of a step. To take a little bit more of a leadership step in your family. To step out and be the father that God's called you to be. Look, 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 look. Maybe you never had a good example in your life. That's not an excuse. Just take another step. Just take another step. I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to be the husband. I'm going to take another step. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to take another step. I'm going to fight against this cultural battle that I'm going to take another step. If you want to take that step today, men, I want to call you today. I, I want to pull it out of you. If that, that's you today, I want you just to stand up on your feet if you're ready to take that step for your marriage. Stand up on your feet if you're ready to take that step in our community. Stand up on your feet if you're ready to take that step as a father. Stand up on your feet if you're ready to take that step. Look, I'm not, it doesn't matter if you're married, unmarried. You're just ready to take that step. You're ready to take that step as a community leader. You're ready to take that step as a church leader. Ready to take that step as a strong man. Ready to take that step. This is what we do. This is how we lead. Can we all stand to our feet? Can we just give them a hand? Come on, let's just give them a big hand. Those of you that stood up, just lift both hands to heaven. I want to lead you in just a prayer of dedication to be the man God's called you to be. To be the dad God's called you to be. the father that God's called you to be. Just say this with me. You can all say this. Just say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I stand today as a child of God, as a living example of the testimony of the greatness of you as a father. Today, I take my seat. I take my place. I stand tall, ready to fight, ready to win. Jesus, you already won for me. I am victorious in you. In Jesus' name. Now just thank him. Come on, just take 
just 30 seconds and just thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And in your own way, in your own way, in your own way, just describe to God that step you're going to take. I'm going to be that husband. This week, things are changing. Today's things are changing. This is no ordinary Father's Day. Things are changing. Things are being rearranged. I'm taking that step in my community. I'm taking that step in my church. I'm not going to sit in the back anymore. I'm going to fight, get a front row seat. I'm going to be the first one to lift my hands during worship. I know it's uncomfortable, God, but I'm going to do it anyway. I grew up Catholic. I'm going to do it anyway. I grew up Episcopalian. I'm going to do it anyway. I grew up Lutheran. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to be the first one to start clapping. I'm going to be the first amen. I'm going to be the first. I'm going to lead the way. In Jesus' name. Did you learn anything today? Come on, guys. Did you learn anything? Come on, church. Give God a big hand clap. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.